Good morning. Good morning. Awesome to hear you. Good to be with you. Um, I uh, normally uh, don't get to visit my friends in third service, so awesome to be with you. I'm uh, happy to step in and um, be a part of this service uh, with Pastor Jeff, and uh, he's got graduation things going on today, so it's good that he can be with his family, and uh, we've got a great staff and a great team, so we can all sort of jump in and support one another, so that's, that's cool. I also have a graduate that I'm excited about, my daughter. Madison, she's not graduating from the academy, so don't worry, I'm, I'm not being a bad dad. Um, <laughs> she's, she's graduating from Wakaiva High School um, in a couple of weeks, I think, so um, I'll be, we got family coming in for that, so uh, it's, it's that time of the year, isn't it? It's just that time of the year, so um, but good to be with you, and uh, let's, let's pray one more time before we jump in and get started this morning, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the gift of this gathering. We come and we're aware, Lord, that we get to come and enter your presence, that we are, in fact, the guests. And we're grateful that you allow us to come and to commune with you. God, more than anything else, we pray that your voice would be heard and that, Lord, you would allow me to fade into the background and that you would just show up in a very powerful way and touch the hearts and lives of those who have gathered. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. <laughs> a little man bringing the amens this morning. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA, was founded by two men who came to be known by AA members simply as Bill W. and Dr. Bill. This was the first 12-step program ever, and we can likely credit it with having saved the lives of many people who found themselves powerless over something um, and their lives wildly unmanageable. Now, you don't have to be an alcoholic or have been addicted to anything to, at some point in your life, understand what it means to be powerless over something or perhaps even someone. And to also know that your life has become unmanageable. In fact, I would say everyone here, but especially Christians, should be able to relate to the 12-step model. And uh, particularly for our purposes here this morning, for this message, it all sort of ties in. I want to take a look at the 12th step. We'll put it on the board so you can kind of read along and, and check it out. But this is, um, this is particularly meaningful uh, for those of us who are Christians and for the message this morning. It says this, this is a 12 step, you've gone through all 11 and you arrive at this, this particular step and it says this, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So two things that we can relate to here as Christ followers. The first idea, the first part of this 12th step is this idea of spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening. If you are a believer, as believers, at some point in our lives in the past, we awoke to the reality that we were far from God. 
There's something that just happened within us. What's important to note about this in particular, the fact that we were far from God, is it may not admit that you were outside of the church, but it very well could admit that you were still inside of the church. You just didn't know Jesus. You hadn't accepted him personally as your savior. But this happened. By God's grace, something happened deep inside of you. For a long time, you you could pull off the surface, clean-cut, religious sort of stuff and get by on the inside of the church, and you were okay. But then all of a sudden, and I don't know if you're sitting on your back porch just watching the sunrise or if you were in a coffee shop or maybe you were sitting in a church that one Saturday morning you decided to get up and go to a church, but something happened within you. And the Spirit of God sort of broke loose within you. And it messed you up. It hit you like a ton of bricks and and you became alive to the reality of the fact that there is a God and he's interested in a relationship with you. And it just blew you away. And so you became intimately aware of God's forgiveness and his grace and his unconditional love. And you received him as Lord and Savior on that day. And all of heaven celebrated And it was awesome. Now, here is, I got to throw this caveat in. If you haven't experienced this, then let me reiterate for everyone here under the sound of my voice, that is exactly what this church is all about. We believe that. We believe that that happens and it happens all the time. We pray that it happens every Saturday that we gather in this place. The reason why we pay the light bill We have AC, we have programming. The reason we do all that is for that very purpose, so that that experience and that awakening can happen in the lives of people who walk through the doors of this church. There's no other reason we exist but to say that God matters and to help you come to know Jesus, to help you hear the gospel, receive Christ, and then begin to live that gospel out, man. That's what we're all about. If that isn't what we're all about, then we're changing, doggone it. (laughs) That's what we're all about. Now, the second part of that that 12th step is, is again, as Christ followers, we should be able to to relate to this. We carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. Now, this is where it gets really awkward for us as believers because now there's this compulsion within us. There's this driving thing. The Spirit of God within us sort of moves us to share this experience with others so that they can know what we've experienced, so they can understand that we've come from a very dark place, but now we're alive and we're awake, and, and it just sort of happens within you, right? You don't have to manufacture it. It just sort of, God is just working. And he allows you to sort of overcome all your fears you have and all your sort of self-consciousness about, you know, uh, being out there and sharing this new experience that's going on, uh, going on without you and, and, and your apprehension and God just sort of moves in you and you can't help, as awkward as it is, to let somebody else know that there's a God and he can make your life better And then he can come in and he can make you better at doing life. Amen? 
And so you begin to sort of live out that faith in front of other people. You begin to share that message. You begin to take that message, just like the 12 steps says. You begin to carry this message to others and practice these principles in front of everybody else. And, and the more you practice those principles, the more you just do life. People kind of go, whoa, what's up with that person? I remember um, I became a Christian at a Seventh-day Adventist church school and my church, the church that was attached to that church school did one of these things called an evangelistic series. I had never been around evangelistic series before in my life, okay? I was a non, essentially a non-Christian. I had sort of a faith background, but I didn't really go to church, didn't know Jesus. And um, we had one of these crusades and Kenneth Cox baptized me. How many of y'all remember Kenneth Cox? Yeah, some of you know Kenneth? Yeah. That's kind of old school, because I'm old now, I guess. <laughs> and, um, but one of the cool things that he taught me, all the people that, that he baptized and all the people that are kind of on his team, he said he, he wanted everyone to be able to, to do a gospel presentation. And that was basically this little outline that you could use to articulate what has been done for, for anyone who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, what has been done for the whole world. For God so loved the world. This is, and he outlined it. He put it on little cards. Uh, for a long time, I kept that in my Bible. But that was the message that, that he wanted us to carry to anyone that we encountered. I'll never forget sort of having this, this sort of, this, this, this uneasiness about the fact that maybe God would bring somebody across my path that would need to hear this message. Would I have the courage to step up and share it? <laughs> But that was it. That was the message. There was a message that, that we had to carry. And there's a message that every believer, and you may not have the gift of evangelism. Don't get me wrong. You may not have the gift of preaching. You may not be the most articulate person. But, but there's some way, you know, we all sort of send a message, right? We're all carrying a message. And the question becomes, have you thought about the message that we're given to people? Are they getting the message that we so want them to hear? In our body language, in our words, even in our silence, our silence even sends a message. Maybe we're silent about things that matter to God and we should be talking about those things. In the way that we treat people, the way we make people feel, it's often said that people don't remember um, what you say to them, but they absolutely remember how you made them feel. By what makes us mad, glad, or even sad, we are communicating something. We are bringing a message to somebody for better or for worse, for good or for bad. There's a message. And the question becomes, just what is that message that we carry? I don't know if you've heard of Cliff Dickens. Cliff Dickens is a graphic designer who's come up with these great, these 24, what he calls 24 honest slogans about companies that you and I are all familiar with. Um, he basically takes the logos of these companies and he puts his own little slogan underneath these different products that, that we all use. And it's really kind of the message that's really the message that we all know about, but it doesn't really say it because it probably wouldn't be the best ad campaign, but, but these are pretty cool. Maybe you've seen these before. How many of you play Candy Crush? You play Candy Crush on your phone? Or is that an old game? You guys need to have a little more fun because you don't play Candy Crush. All right, so Candy Crush. Look at this. This is the, his, his take on Candy Crush. The game version of pure cocaine. <laughs> Apparently not in this group. As a lot of people play that game. All right, so you can relate to this one. I know you all can. WebMD. WebMD. This is what he says, WebMD. Convince yourself that you have a terminal illness. 
There you go. I know you've all done that. Feeling bad one day, you go on WebMD. These are my symptoms. Oh, my Lord, I'm going to die, right? That's, that's kind of how it goes. Ikea. I personally don't like Ikea, but anyway, so, right? We throw in extra parts just to mess with you, right? Guys, got to put that thing together in the box and it's like, whoa. Your wife freaks out because you got all kinds of parts left over. All right, so... Wikipedia for all the college students. You're welcome, college students. <laughs> right? When you graduate, you will also thank Wikipedia and the internet. All right, so BIC. BIC. You probably didn't buy it. <laughs> all right, confession. You stolen a few pins? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, all the mine are from people for free. All right, so, and then my last one, my favorite one. Lay's potato chips, ever gotten one of these? Flavored air, flavored air. That's about what you get in those little bags, right? There's a message that is being communicated and the question becomes just what is that message? Individually or collectively as a community, as a church, we are sending a message. So here's my assignment for you and take me seriously on this. I want you to do this. Take, up your, take your bulletin and take it home and read it and look at all the stuff that's going on. But what I want you to do is on the front of that bulletin, there's a logo and it says Forest Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church. And underneath that, I want, I want you to write, what, what is the real message being communicated? What do you think people are getting about our church? And does it line up with the reality of the message of the gospel that you and I are compelled to share with other people? What do you think? If you were to take the time just to think through a little bit and take that bulletin right underneath it. I know it may say something about hope on there right now. Well, you write something else. What is, what, is the, what is the church, what is the message that needs to be communicated and in your, your own words? In fact, every Christian should be able to do this. You should be able to articulate what the message is from your own words. I want you to take the time to do that. So I did that this week. So I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not telling you to do something I haven't done myself. So this is what I wrote, all right? It's what I wrote in my little journal note-taking stuff. Our message is that there is a God who came and revealed himself through his son, Jesus. And he reveals himself as the one who makes life better and makes us better at life. Furthermore, not only will he make us better and better at doing life, he says, ultimately, I will give you the best life eternally. Not because of what it has to offer, but because of who it has to offer. That's sort of my articulation of this whole message, man. Because here's what I fear, and we're going to take a look at a biblical story in just a moment. Here's what I fear is that, that sometimes because of the, the, the institution of the church and because of the organization of the church, and I'm not dogging the church, I'm just saying sometimes the message could potentially get lost that ultimately this thing isn't about what we are as much as it is who we are all in love with and are about. It's easy for us in the, in the light of how, how big we are and how important we are and how big our institutions are and how much we grow and our identity as Seventh-day Adventists, you know. It's so funny because sometimes I'll see, because we live in Apopka, which is, there's a lot of Adventists in Apopka, right? That's not, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And um, sometimes you'll see, you'll see the, the, uh, the license plate cover that says, the seventh day is the Sabbath, right? <laughs> And I kind of go, okay, well, that's good. Good message to send out. 
What messages are we communicating? What messages are we sending? Truth, absolutely. But Jesus made that great statement, as Ken brought up earlier, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the truth. And the truth of the gospel is that that same Jesus, that same God, he comes in to your life and to mine when we're way far away from him. He radically alters and transforms it and changes it. And then the Sabbath makes a whole lot more sense, right? When you start talking about Jesus, you start looking at his life, the Sabbath makes a whole lot of sense. What happens when people die and what, you know, and, 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 and what, how Jesus is going to return, when you start with Jesus, it makes it all make a whole lot more sense. And that makes sense because of Jesus. What message are we sending? We have to be careful to make sure that the wrong message isn't communicated. I think there's a reason why Jesus decided that he would make that journey through Samaria. It's an old familiar story. You know it well. The story of the woman at the well. It's not by accident that Jesus would go and encounter this woman. In fact, it says that he had to go to Samaria. So whereas normally if you were Jewish and you would take the trip from Judea to Galilee you would go a different route. You would go, um, rather than going north and going, taking a little right turn and going up north, you would go, uh, or, yeah, you would go that way. That's, if you were Jewish, you would go that way. You would go left if you wanted to go s- through Samaria. Jesus, being a Jew, takes the route towards Samaria. He goes north out of, um, out of Judea and he takes that left and he heads up and lo and behold, he finds himself in this this, this encounter, this intentional encounter with this woman who was far from God. Although she had a religious background, she was far from God. The Bible says that it was about the sixth hour. It doesn't mean that it was six in the morning. It means it was six hours past sun, sunrise. So it was high noon. It was a hot part of the day. And it says that Jesus was weary from his travels. He had sent his disciples to go take care of buying groceries. And, and he stops at this, at this well, which in reality was actually sort of a sacred, holy place, especially to the Samaritans. They, they believed in their ancestors, uh, Jacob, and, and they had this, this, this connection to this, this history and this lineage, and they celebrated that well. It was something very special. In fact, in the story, the Samaritan woman, you know, talks about our father Jacob. Are you a prophet greater than our father Jacob? And, and all these sorts of things. So there's this encounter that Jesus has and I believe he shows up and he encounters this woman because she hasn't gotten all the right messages in fact the the message that she's gotten um, is is sort of it's not the complete message it's in fact the Samaritans the Samaritans did not look at um, they only they only held to the first five books of the Old Testament They, they looked at what's called the Pentateuch or the books of Moses Moses was, a, was the figure and the hero in their world for, this, for the Samaritans. And they, they looked at, 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 at Moses as this great deliverer. So they couldn't imagine that, that anyone greater than Moses, you know, could be, that she could be talking to someone, any, anyone greater than Moses. They had some idea that there was a Messiah that would come, but they, she in particular had no idea that she was talking to that Messiah. That's why she's kind of thrown off. 
And she and Jesus get into this interesting dialogue, a little bit more background to this Samaritan and where she's coming from. This is absolutely unheard of that a Jewish person would talk to the Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman, right? The Samaritans were seen as these sort of half-breeds. They were this sort of weird mixture of Jews and Gentiles, both, both ethnically and, and then religiously. So they, they really struggled. And, and Jews, they, they, they really resented Jewish people because they felt like the Jews were, were kind of seen as the special people. And they were better than everyone else. And there was something unique and special and important about them. And the Jewish people let them know it. So they were particularly, they were particularly put off by Jewish people. So for Jesus, being a Jew, to begin to interact with the Samaritan woman was significant, greatly significant. It was even deeper than that, though. It went to the level of religious belief. Now, you can mess with people on a lot of levels, but you begin to mess with their religion and their spirituality and their faith, you start to really mess with them, right? That can drum up a lot of, a lot of anger and a lot of hatred. And that's kind of what was going on. Because Jews, Jews believed that all of religious and spiritual life was centered in Jerusalem, um, many of the Samaritans hated Jerusalem. They hated the fact that, that there was a temple there. They did not accept it as the place of pilgrimage. But what they did accept was their own temple that they built right there where, where, where Jesus and the Samaritan woman were. They built their own temple in a place called Gerizim. And they made that their place of pilgrimage. They made that the center of their religious ethic and their religious life. And so Jesus sort of steps into this, this situation and there's all this baggage that this woman is carrying. Not, not only the baggage with regard to where she comes from and her religion and her spiritual background, but she's got personal issues. I love this story, especially when we think about the 12 steps, because I think Jesus takes this woman whose life she's found out that she is powerless over something and her life has become unmanageable. And I think in this instance, as he interacts with her, he begins to give her a message that will set her free and bring her to life. But he also, he also begins to give her a message that says, you're going to be able to do life better. So I want to take you to this passage um, that's in the story. John chapter 4, verses 19, or verses 21 through 24. So think about all that sort of background, all that's going on here with this woman. What she comes with and her history and her backstory is really sort of messed up. And she interacts with this one who I believe made a special trip through Samaria to give her the message to give her the right message, because she'd been getting the wrong message. And Jesus steps into her life, and he says this. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Remember what I said, they had these sort of two competing places that they saw as the places of worship. They had a temple in Jerusalem for the Jews, a temple in Gerizim for the Samaritans. 
And Jesus comes in, he begins to sort of totally obliterate this foundational piece for her that was so important for her. He said, you think that the Jews have it all and that's what matters and that's important and, and you think, and maybe you think that your thing is so important, but here's what really matters. He said, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, referring to himself as a Jew, for salvation is from the Jews Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, he wants her to become a true worshiper. True worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And what I, what I grasp from this is that Jesus is attempting to let her know that regardless of whether or not it's Gerizim where your temple is, Samaritan woman, or if it's Jerusalem, where the Jews' temple is. What really matters is the man sitting or standing right in front of you. I am ultimately who you need to know to have the life that you so long to have. And you heard her story, you know, you've read the story, you know that she, Jesus, you know, revealed to her that he knew her past and that she wasn't married and she's had sort of this checkered past. He, he knows that she is really a hot mess and, and the only, the, the last thing she needs is more religion. The last thing she needs is to be told, hey, go check out your temple. The last thing she needs to be told is something about how the institution can save her. And so Jesus steps in and he sort of breaks down that whole temple model. He says, you may think that your hope resides in this, this special place, this holy place, but really, you can have a life because of the Holy One, and that's me. With the arrival of Jesus, essentially saying, he's essentially saying this, that there's a new reality, that everything changes. Forget about your sacred spaces, your sacred buildings, your sacred institutions, and even your religious history. I am the one who awakens you to a new life, is what he's saying. Now think about it for us in this religious environment. We have all kinds of sacred things to us, and they're important. They matter. We have all kinds of practices. We have a great, great institution, all sorts of great things. But is it possible that, that, that sometimes these things can blind us to the, the one central thing that makes all the other things matter and make sense, and that is Jesus? And I think Jesus particularly stepped into this woman's life at a moment where she was grasping for something that was real and that mattered and someone who would come into her life and make it better and make her better at doing life. And he steps into this woman's life and he begins to sort of undermine all the religious stuff and all the, the hatred and all the bitterness that had come around all through history. He says, look, I am the one that matters most. I am what this thing is all about. He says, a time is coming when you, wor you won't worship in this temple and they won't worship in their temple. There will come a time when all of that matters and that time is actually right now. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he changes the whole reality of everything. Everything back here pointed to him. And when he would come, what did he say? He said, um, I am the way, the truth, and life. He absolutely said that. But he, when he talked about the law, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill. So when you look, when you think about law, don't think about the stones. Think about me. If you want to understand the law, look to Jesus. Jesus. 
understand who he is, understand what he came to do. The cool thing is, she arrives at the 12th step. Something happens in this woman that awakens. She gets the right message. And the message is sitting right there in front of her. And, and, and she begins to respond because notice what, hap- what happens. John 4, verses 39 through 41, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Wow. She gets it, and then she begins to carry the message to someone else. But it's the real message. It's the real deal. Is it not like these people didn't already have a message? Is it not like the Samaritans didn't already have sort of their religion and their institutions, and they were very proud of it? In fact, they were, they were quite resentful and angry of the other guys. But here comes Jesus, and he steps into this very important place, and he reveals to her, no, 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 this I am what this is all about, not what you set up to believe is what it's all about. She says, look, they they say, look, we went and we heard this woman's testimony. And she says, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. All these Samaritans come out now. Oh, dude, come, hey, come stay with us. And he stayed two days. And check this out. And because of his message, because of his words, many more became believers. Wow. It may be risky. And in some cases, it may even be, seem somewhat heretical to say that just for a moment, can we make sure that beyond the grandeur of all our institutions and the, and, the, and the wonderful practices and the wonderful things that we are as Seventh-day Adventists, can we make sure that the right message is being communicated, that it's not so much about all that we have and all that we've become and all that we hope to be as much as it is about the one, Jesus Christ. That he is ultimately the one that changes realities, that he transforms lives, that he makes people better, and he makes them better at doing life. It's not necessarily this machine that we create, which is a good thing. It's a great institution. Don't get me wrong. But we better, I hope and I pray that we make sure that we're communicating the right message. Finally, I believe this. I believe that Jesus was trying to send his church in 2015 this very, very crucial message that yes, it's all about him. It's all about him, no question about it. But I see in this, in this, in this intentional detour that Jesus takes and he encounters this woman who should have nothing but hatred for him. I see him saying that with all that we have and all that we do as a people, let's make sure that we know that people matter, that people matter. That whereas we may have the message and we may believe the message, unless people matter to us and we demonstrate that, nobody wants to hear your message. (laughs) You know what we always say, nobody cares what you have to say until they know how much you care. And Jesus steps into this woman's world He just demonstrates care. He just begins to talk and to engage and to love and to be present. And it may be that the most important message you and I can share 
that will prevent any of the other messages from, from blocking this one message. As if we can just care for people. Just be there. Just engage. Don't allow anyone to be invisible. Just make sure we know that this thing is about people at the end of the day. Father God, people matter to you, and therefore they should matter to us. We know you are a God who comes in and you make people better, and you make those same people do better at life. May that message not get lost in the midst of all that we're doing and all that we have and all that we'll have in the future. May that message not get lost. May we not cling so tightly to some of these things that are so sacred and so special to us that we forget about the one who said that I am the truth. And Father God, may we never forget, never forget that there is a message, and that message is ultimately you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.